1: CONSPIRACY UNLIMITED WITH RICHARD SERRICT
0: On this episode, Ambassador Lee Wanta was President Ronald Reagan's secret agent given the task of ending the Cold War by destroying the Russian ruble through a series of sophisticated currency swaps. In the process, Wanta has raised more than $31 trillion.
3: They didn't have a plan. All their plan was, is to take down the Soviet Union and, and stop the Cold War. And I thought about it for two or three months because if we take away the currency, what are they gonna buy with it? And then we did other research and found that the army was being defunded, just like our army. They couldn't buy this, they didn't have any jet fuel, they didn't have this, they didn't have that. And the soldiers had to sell their uniforms or their hats or their buttons just to get something to eat. So I came back with the proposal and the plan was my plan how how to do the financial deals because it wasn't nobody knew what to do because they were the big evil empire are going to kill us
0: This podcast is supported by Paranormal Contractors, a division of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, it's time to bring in the professionals. Call 1-866-724-0800. 1-866-724-0800. Check out their YouTube channel paranormal contractors for things that go bump in the night.
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
0: Welcome to your Friday. My interview with Ambassador Lee Wanta and his editor Lon Gibby coming up. This is another one from The Vault that was recorded back in 2016. It's also a two-parter, so part one today and part two on Monday, Christmas Eve. And because it's Friday, we'll also welcome Christian Cadieux, the real John Constantine from Paranormal Contractors. The $31.2 trillion man. Let me repeat that. $31.2 trillion man. That's trillion with a T. Uh, he was Ronald Reagan's secret agent. Ambassador Lee Wanta is standing by along with his publisher, Lon Gibby, uh, to discuss how Lee Wanta brought down the Soviet Empire and ended the Cold War without firing a single shot. And then, through a series of sophisticated currency swaps and other financial maneuvers, Wanta amassed a fortune in the tens of trillions, tens of trillions of dollars, which was uh, to be put aside for the American people. And we'll get to uh, that in just a moment. If you're not familiar with Ambassador Lee Wanta's exploits and his incredible story, uh, be prepared, as I always like to say, to have your reality redefined. It sounds like something ripped from the pages of an Ian Fleming story, but it is not. Lee Wanta is not James Bond. He's real, and he insists the incredible tale you're about to hear is, likewise, the gospel truth. First, let me welcome... Lon Gibby, who is editor of Wanta, Black Swan, White Hat, the autobiography of Lee Wanta. Lon is also the CEO of Gibby Media Group, which is the producer of a new documentary film on Lee Wanta called Eagle One to Wanta. And incidentally, uh, you can watch the trailer for this film uh, at eagle1towanta.com. Eagle1towanta.com. Lon Gibby, how are you?
2: Well, it's a real honor to get to be with you and your audience. and We really appreciate the opportunity to spend this time with you.
0: All right. Now, uh, from parts unknown, Ambassador Lee Wanta was President Reagan's secret agent who masterminded a creative way to financially take down the economy of the Soviet Union and put together and negotiated an agreement with Secretary General Mikhail Gorbachev. As a result... The Russian Federation was born, and future generations throughout the entire world have enjoyed more safety from a nuclear holocaust because of his efforts. In this process, Lee Wanta did amass trillions of dollars that were designated to go back to the American people by President Reagan. However, in his effort to carry out his mandate, Lee was imprisoned, and the monetary funds that were his to distribute as planned were stolen or converted illegally by an organization known as well we're familiar with uh, this organization the federal reserve system and then used by them to this very day lee wanto how are you
3: you're very faint richard sorry can you read anything
0: uh i will get my my trusty uh producer can you boost my my send to lee no He can't. All right. Well, listen, let me um, what we'll do is uh, I will direct my first couple of questions to Lon Gibby. And then during the break, perhaps we can have Lee uh, call the studio line directly and then he'll be able to hear me better. Uh, Lon, can you hear me? okay? you bet. All right. Uh, First of all, Lon, let me direct this question to you. The thumbnail sketch that I gave uh, regarding Lee's incredible story. Did I leave out any pertinent information there?
2: No, that was great. Uh, You pretty much summarized it, you know, that uh, the the Cold War uh, with Lee Lee worked directly under President Reagan as a mandated secret agent. He wasn't uh, an employee of the government. Uh, He was working under what was known as the Toten Doctrine, which we'll talk about the Toten Doctrine, number 92, U.S. uh, 105 and 107, and that goes back to Abraham Lincoln. It's very historical. Uh, Abraham Lincoln needed somebody that he could trust as an individual to go behind enemy lines to work with the Confederate uh, armies and and the people that we were fighting against at that time. And uh, he uh, adopted the totten Doctrine to be able to work with a, a, an independent person that was not an employee. And uh, President Reagan uh, was aware of that, the totten Doctrine, and decided that that would work well for some of his goals that he was trying to bring the in the, the cold, the, the bring down this, the Soviet Union without firing a shot. And uh, so he needed somebody like Lee, who had tremendous uh, talent in various areas, to be able to accomplish that. And uh, Lee agreed under oath and under a mandate that was given up to him by President Reagan to work under the Toten Doctrine to basically put his life in jeopardy and to work as a secret agent. If he was a spy, he wouldn't have lived. He, he definitely wouldn't have made it through, but he worked as a secret agent independently, you know, as uh, directly under the president. So that's very unique. We've only had two of those in our entire U.S. history.
0: So it, the Totten uh, Doctrine was essentially uh, a, a power the president had to draft a, a citizen of the United States uh, for special assignments. Is that it that, in a nutshell? correct. Okay. Now, how did you meet, uh, you're up in Spokane, uh, Washington, um, uh, which is a a beautiful little, uh, well, it's not little, it's a beautiful city, but how on earth did you meet this secret agent, trillion-dollar man, Lee Wanta?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. You know, uh, my first experience of going to the Soviet Union was doing a documentary with a a number of food professionals from Seattle that we traveled with uh, in 1988. So I had the experience of of shooting and filming in the Soviet Union before it uh, it, uh, became the Russian Federation. And so I've been always interested in Russia. I've been always interested in uh, the Cold War and what happened. I was there during that time period and uh, traveled about 7,000 miles in Russia. So when I heard about Lee's project, it was introduced to me basically, are you interested in doing something that's kind of scary? that uh, maybe you may not, once you hear the content, you may not want to be involved in. And so when I was introduced to it as a, as a documentarian, I, I I was quite interested because i have done documentaries on uh, the Vietnam War on f- with fighter pilots. Uh, I did a, a project relating to um, some of our historical background.
0: But had you heard of Lee Wanta prior to I never, this?
2: i have never heard of Lee. Uh, and so it was when I, I was ended up um, talking with one of his associates, a lady that was working with him. Uh, She kind of screened me and looked at my stuff and uh, talked to Lee about us for quite a while. And it was about uh, two months or so after I first started talking about this project that one day I got a call from Lee, and uh, he talked to me personally on the phone. And then it seems like we probably talked... uh, every single day since
0: then. But the story on, on the surface, it does seem almost too incredible to be true. He brings the Soviet Union to its knees through these currency swaps. In other words, he absolutely decimates the ruble. Uh, so the Soviet Union, you know, has no no uh, choice really but essentially to surrender. I mean, they give up, they lose the Cold War uh and is all this done by, you know, one man without firing a shot? Did you believe this story initially, or did you have some reservations?
2: Well, when I first heard about it, I thought, you know, you know that's just very difficult to believe right off the top. I mean, And I, it wasn't until I started reviewing the documents and studying his, uh, his history and looking at all the, the details that I, I, began, I understood that, yes, this is a true story. And it needed to be told to the American people. It, it, you know the Soviet Union was was the evil empire, so we're not talking about trying to collapse and ruin the, the the people of Russia because Lee loves the people of Russia. He didn't he doesn't he didn't want to hurt anybody, but I really felt like the project had some serious consequences to it. You know, if people needed to know how this took place, and they also needed to know what happened to Lee after he uh, how he amassed those trillions of dollars, and then what happened to that money?
0: Well, that's, you know, obviously uh, Lee's incarceration on on two occasions, two separate occasions on uh, allegedly uh, trumped-up charges. But that, yes, that's the... That's the key, is the $31.2 trillion now through uh, compound interest, I suppose. It's now worth $31.2 trillion, enough to wipe out the U.S. federal debt, not including long-term liabilities, uh, which, you know, Social Security, Medicare, which could be as high as $100 trillion. Uh, but uh, right now on the books, we've got a, a U.S. federal debt of about 19 or $20 trillion, So that would be wiped out. Uh, this was Ronald Reagan's intention for this money. Uh, well, that's
2: correct, and you know, one thing, uh, Richard, he um, was given $150 billion of seed capital, basically, which he was just like a loan to him.
0: From the U.S. Treasury.
2: From the U.S. Treasury, and he did very well with that money, and he paid it back six months later. Uh, and with all his different companies that he used and his his the people that he brought in that he worked with, uh, he was extremely successful in not only taking down collapsing the Soviet Union and paying, obviously, that money back, but he amassed trillions of dollars in the process, which, again, Reagan knew he would, but would would really, um, they had a plan to help build a, a high-speed rail system for our country and, how, and, to, and to really help our, company, our country get out of
0: debt. Just very, very quickly, if if people were to go to, say, the President Reagan Library, would they find documents mentions made of, of Lee Wanda to sort of corroborate this story?
2: Uh yes, they would.
0: All right, and Lee, can you hear me better now?
3: I'm bouncing, but I'm good.
0: Excellent. Uh, now
3: I won't even ask you for any donuts. It's
0: too late now. <laughs> yes, Ambassador Wanda apparently has a penchant for donuts. But <laughs> Lee, let me ask you this, just right up front. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the Dead Files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love Tales of the Paranormal, but if you want more... Go to your happy price, priceline.
1: This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13.
0: For people who are listening to this program and they're saying, wait a minute, this man amassed a fortune of $31.2 trillion. He brought the Soviet Empire to its knees without firing a shot, convinced Mikhail Gorbachev essentially uh, to dissolve the Soviet Union, and they're saying... I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. What would you say to the, the skeptics, the debunkers out there listening who, who, who don't believe this story? Lee, what would you say to them?
3: I would tell them to go to uh, what, what Lon put up on the Internet, a tape recording. How long was it, uh, Lon? Twelve minutes, something like that?
2: What's recording you are referring to?
3: The one from the two senators and, uh, the,
2: oh, yeah, the other uh, governor. Go- uh, the governor of Tennessee. That's six and a half minutes.
0: Okay, the governor of Tennessee. You have a tape recording? The former
3: of- governor of Tennessee. Right. And a sitting senator who was the chairman of a big committee and a state senator on tape called the embassy demanding that I release $30 billion because they collected my money for me. I thought you might have heard that already. It's a live tape. In fact, we turn it into the FBI, Title 18, Section 201, A, B, and C, because public elected officials, even former public officials, are demanding $30 billion from me, or they're going to kill me. And fact.
0: they okay. identify themselves on the tape as... The,
3: well, yeah, yeah, the FBI called me, and the French intel called me and says, what's the hell happening, Ambassador? Oh. Hey, let me and hear that,
2: it. And that's available, by the way, to listen to if you go to... You can play the it on you your show. That? And it, uh, it's been unedited. It's just exactly the way that it was left accidentally on uh, Lee's embassy
0: phone. Right. Uh, Lee, let me ask you about uh, Ronald Reagan. And um, h- why did he approach you uh, to pull this off? What's special about Lee Wanta that he was confident you're the guy that he should invoke the Totten Doct- Doctrine and-, and put you on the case? Why you?
3: It's very simple. I own Leo E. Wanta & Associates, Inc., which is a management selling group for just these special kind of things. One of the people that helped me set it up in Carson City, Nevada, was former CIA Director Bill Casey. The other one was, at that time, a Senator, Paul of that state, and they knew who I was. I was in the DX Destroyer, the Hub Body, the B-1 Bomber, on a number of projects, and everybody knew my background in engineering and being a tool and die maker by a five-year apprenticeship, I not only do the engineering studies, I can machine the doggone thing myself. I was an expert. I did stuff in J.E. Evendale. I was part of many machine tool processing books. I was skilled. I was a, uh, time measure, measurement certified engineer. I was also a leader of some of the, uh, training industrial, cor- uh, uh, you know, committees, councils, okay? I was a jack of all trades. I loved it.
0: And, and um, what were your impressions uh, upon meeting President Reagan for the first time?
3: He scared the hell
0: out of me. Why? Because
3: why? I was thinking of both, of both Bozal and Monkey.
0: So you were buying into sort of the me- the, the media's myth about him, that he was just no, an actor? No,
3: not at all. No? You have to understand, I grew up in Sheboygan. The only big thing in Sheboygan was baseball every time, every day with the kids in the play- playground and going to the, uh, a movie. And Tom Mix was in there, and all those other films, you know. And Ronald Reagan was a good guy, and my mother liked Doris Day and Esther Williams. And I felt, wow, I'm meeting an actor.
0: Oh, I see. Person, okay, so too. you were in, so in awe of it. Okay, but, but as a, as a as the commander in chief, and when he proposed this idea to you for the first time that you would be responsible for for collapsing the Russian ruble and, and collapsing the Soviet Union, what what did you think of the plan? And was it his first of plan? All,
3: First of all, being a management consultant, he knew that I've been all over the Defense Department, the Agri, every, and the Labor Department, everything else. He was asking me not to, he wanted the method. How could we do this? They didn't have a plan. All their plan was, is to take down the Soviet Union and, and stop the Cold War because the military industrial complex, even General Eisenhower and Kennedy, and Kennedy wanted to get rid of the military industrial complex. Because the bankers make money in wars and death. War mer- mer- merchants, he called them. Right. Can you and ex- that's why I had to think about it, and I thought about it for two or three months. Because if we take away the currency, what are they going to buy with it? And then we did other research and found that the Army was being defunded, just like our Army. They couldn't buy this. They didn't have any jet fuel. They didn't have this. They didn't have that. And the soldiers had to sell their uniforms or the hats or their buttons just to get something to eat. So I came back with the proposal and the plan. It was my plan of how to do the financial deals because it wasn't, nobody knew what to do because they were the big evil empire that are going to kill us.
0: Now, can you explain in very simple, basic terms uh, how these currency swaps worked that enabled you to collapse the Russian ruble and at the same time making, you know, amassing this huge fortune? How does a currency swap work? Very it basic.
3: Was very simple. First of all, I was sent to Vienna, Austria. I wanted to go to Paris. So now I got everybody in Vienna, Austria, which is, which is part German, to be frank about it, because of the World War II. And we knew that a lot of the people were going to Budapest, Hungary, and smuggling smug, you know, out their rubles so they can buy a, a dishwasher or a refrigerator or some food. And we knew at Central Credit Central, uh, Bank, right by uh, the cathedral there, St. Stephen's Cathedral, I met with them, and I came to the fact that they were still getting rubles somehow because I had promised software. So I knew what currencies are floating around. I don't know if you know what promised software is, oh, but it's yes. a yes. backdoor to all the banks. and uh,
0: They had that in the, in the late 80s? Certainly. Okay.
3: By Insula. In fact, it was stolen by a bunch of crooks within the... Uh, the previous administration for their profit—I'll give you a hint—the Arkansas mafiosa. Anyhow, we knew that they were transferring rubles back to their central banks, and we—wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's not supposed to be any rubles, Soviet rubles, out of the country. No, because it wasn't portable.
0: Trade. It wasn't a portable currency,
3: right? Right. It had no value outside the border, and we knew that China and border were having China and Russia. The Soviet Union you're fighting on the borders all the time. So being a clever guy, being Polish, I, my dad told me about the Germans taking, taking care of us when I was just a little kid. I decided that if we can penetrate and get rubles ourselves because they can't take the rubles out of the country, and I give them a, the price that they ask for, and I give them hard currency like Swiss francs or Deutschmarks or Spanish pesetas or dollars, or, or shillings in Austria, because that's what the banks were doing. They were doing a little side deal. A lot of these banks were smuggling rubles to their banks and paying back off other debts. I like, wait a minute, the banks can do it. I can do it better, because I have a low low level of uh, management employees to pay.
0: Okay, so you're buying up Russian rubles. I'm
3: not buying nothing.
0: No, okay.
3: I'm trading. I'm, you give me your rubles, and I'll give you the currency of your choice. And I was buying rubles at 26, 28, 29 cents a ruble, and the benchmark for the Soviet ruble at that time was a dollar 20. So I would get the spread if I could get a bank to pay me the dollar 20, and that was not hard to do because other leadership other companies and corporations around the world knew that if they could get into the marketplace in the Soviet Union at you know good pricing. Maybe a manufacturing plant or something. We are going to be past for Ribbon Beer in there, uh, the kind of the, the, the bread group. We were doing all those things, and Tampax, and Kimberly Clark, and not Tampax, but uh, the coach, whatever, whatever the, the trade name was. And we knew that we could get in there, and I was a task force commander. I was saying, okay, the Postal Service, the military, uh, everybody wanted to get rid of the rubles because they had them stuffed in their mattresses in the post office. They had everything hidden. They had nothing of value that they could buy. Even if they had the rubles, there was nothing to buy on the shelves. So we figured out a plan, my staff and I, how to penetrate the Soviet Union and bring rubles out. And I bought the rubles to Holland and Brinks. They sorted them out, bagged and wrapped them, and I gave them to the major banks so they could recycle and I gave him a very good price, by the way. It cost me 26, 28 cents, and I was getting like seventy five, sometimes eighty cents. And the so- the so- Soviet Union embassy, Dachanko and Babushwa, called my partner and I into the Singapore embassy of the Soviet Union, and argued with me. They ain't going to give me the benchmark at dollar twenty. I take a dollar eight, and I being a Polish engineer, I see a dollar eight's the max. I pay them $0.26, $0.28, 22. And I'm arguing with my Chinese partner that we I go broke, I can't take a dollar eight. So we put on a big big Dale Carnegie show back and forth, fighting back and forth, screaming at each other. He pushes me out the door, I go back to our company car and I wait about thirty minutes later, comes out with the agreements that we use Bank of China in Singapore at a dollar eight. And he wants to go to massage but no, 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 no. We're taking the documents to the to the vault at the office and we'll celebrate after we know that the Bank of China is going to accept the agreement, and they did.
0: Okay, so here's my question. Again, a simple man, not uh, worldly in in matters of finances. How is it that this uh, currency swap destroys the ruble? Is it causing the ruble uh, like, to flow out of the country in such huge numbers that there's they no rubles?
3: They, there's articles they wrote about me that they didn't even have any rubles in the marketplace.
0: Ah, so you just caused this cascade of rubles to leave the country. All the Absolutely. money left the country. everybody
3: Everyone was giving us their rubles. And barrels and bushels, baskets, trains, planes. Because they were getting the hard currency of their choice to their
0: account. All right. And so at that point, they no longer have, the Soviet Union that is, and Mikhail Gorbachev, have no more, they have no money to, to pay off their soldiers, to pay their workers. The economy comes to a standstill.
3: Well, not necessarily they had money because we sent the rubles back at a dollar eight but they had no foreign currency no dollars no deutschmarks no Swiss francs no spanish pesetas no italian lira no canadian dollars
0: so they couldn't buy foreign goods right okay
3: welcome to the club if i may clarify yes you got 25 30 major creditors through the soviet union they were invoiced in foreign trade in rubles right I am 50% owner of a nickel credit with my Chinese partner, who used to have trouble with the Soviet Union through his father, who was a warlord. If you get a bill from, say, to Chile that you owe 90 billion rubles, or you're in Pakistan or India or Canada or even the United States, if I give you rubles at, say, 80 cents, 68 cents, and I pay your bills in rubles, They get all the rubles back, but there's no more hard currency. Right. That's where the beauty part of the thing was. They they got all their bills coming back from all of these countries, the G20 countries and everything else, but they were paid in rubles because they were invoiced in in rubles. But we gave the rubles 42. China got a very better price than that, 55 cents, and we would pay through a nickel credit, which was a underwriting facility in Singapore. We have a license that's underwriters.
0: Okay. So when Mikhail Gorbachev uh, decided, that's it, no mas, no mas, were you over there to sign that agreement with him?
3: I signed a general agreement on cooperation with Yeager gadar the prime minister of the Russian Federation. Uh, Secretary Gen- General Mikhail Gorbachev resigned within days after we agreed to the $10 billion set-aside at the Gorbachev Foundation. And Jager and Yelstein, Boris Yelstein, took charge. There were and, celebrations at their White House.
0: And your signature, Lee Absolutely. Wanta, is on, that, on that document. The
3: finance director, finance minister, Gennady Filchin, who now lives in Vienna, Austria. Probably, he might be in my petals I don't know.
0: <laughs> and your name is on that document.
3: Absolutely. On the right side, right corner. And and the, the finance minister, Gennady Filchen, was on the left bottom as the finance minister of the new...
0: All delivered in as fast
1: as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.
0: The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Well, it's Friday again. That means another visit from Christian Dicadur of Paranormal Contractors, a division of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Hey, Christian, welcome, my friend.
4: Richard, it's always great to uh, to talk to you and uh, to be back on your show.
0: You and I both love gadgets, and we've talked about the different tools of the trade. And uh, you had another gadget you wanted to talk to me about today.
4: Well, there's this one particular gadget that we use from an investigative standpoint. And those who know me know uh, that I'm a little unorthodox when it comes to my uh, investigative tactics. I, I'm not a, I don't like to follow the trends and what other people are doing. I try to be as unique as possible. There is an individual who is, I'm just going to give him a quick plug because it's his product. Jeremy Jones from Paranologies. He has manufactured a product that I've been using extensively. And it is called a phonopod. And essentially what it is, it's an omnidirectional high. Uh, it's like a microphone that picks up whispering at a very low level. It is a level which the average human hearing ability would not be able to pick up. And it is a great product. And I use that on a lot of investigations where we're working, where we are have reason to believe or where. The homeowner has informed us, or the property owner's informed, that there's something going on there. This is a really cool product because we can leave it there by itself, put on a head the headphones, walk away. But uh, before even doing that, we would hook up our, our tape recorder. I, I use an Olympus recorder for both EVPs and other things. But I hook up my Olympus recorder to the Phonopod, and the Phonopod will actually capture subsonic frequency sounds. So it's the most amazing thing I've ever experienced specifically for EVP, which stands for electric uh, voice phenomena. It is fantastic. I mean, I can actually even hear insects. I can hear mice and rats in the walls. It's one of the coolest things I've ever used. And it's simply amazing.
0: Fantastic. You know, one of these days, we should play some of your your best A-grade EVPs on the program. What do you think?
4: Oh, I think that would just be great. Absolutely, for sure. It's
0: called the PhonoPod.
4: Yeah, the PhonoPod. It's uh, it's a great item for people that really want to concentrate on EVPs. It's a must-have. For any type of paranormal investigation.
0: All right, folks, if you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, you better call in the professionals. Christian D. Kedjew, give us a 1 866 number.
4: Absolutely. My number is 1 866 724 0800, or you can contact us at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com.
0: Christian D. Cadieu, the real John Constantine, Paranormal Contractors, a division of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night.
1: If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited. With Richard Sarrett,
0: Ambassador Lee Wanta and his editor, Lon Gibby, are here. How much money did you raise with the the currency swap on the ruble? Approximately. A lot of money. A lot of money. But are we talking trillions, hundreds of billions?
3: Hundreds of billions. All right. But remember from there, I bought prime bank guarantees at the top credit-worthy banks. Not just a bank, top ten credit-worthy banks if you can't... Pay me back for the money I'm giving you in cash, and you're giving me a derivative or an IOU or some stupid thing, and I'm not interested.
0: Right. So you're going around buying banks. You're buying blue chip banks.
3: No, I'm buying prime bank guarantees so they can, they were getting 18, 22% interest on the credit cards. They paid me. Say if I, you're the banker. I give you a billion dollars. You gave me prime bank guarantees, 10, 25, 50 denominations, and you're paying me 7.5% per annum for 10 years. Now, you already make 11%. I gave you cash. You can sustain your credit card uh, market.
0: Okay. Now, you're funneling all of this money into... into where are you squirreling this money away
3: at this all point? All the top 10 credit-worthy banks.
0: Some of them within the United States?
3: I don't do any work in the United States. They're no. not our friends.
0: Okay. So th- so this money is, is... And how are you keeping track of all of these, uh, these accounts that you have?
3: I have Promise Software.
0: Promise Software.
3: Four units. Bill Hamilton is a very good engineer as well.
0: But at the same time, your let's call them your enemies, your political enemies, they're also tracking the whereabouts of this money?
3: Well, GAO comes to our office four quarters in Vienna, the General Accounting Office. They go through all of our books and everything else. They know exactly how much money I have in the New Republic, USA Financial Group, GES, a corporation of Vienna, because the same New Republic... Was, was originally in in uh, Mississippi, Mississippi, in Jackson, Mississippi, because we were building the MX Mobile missiles. We need to buy the Southern Pacific Railroad so we could put the MX missiles in the trailer cars and run them around the world or the United States. So they never knew if they had a real train of missiles or a blank one because right. we were putting dummy missiles missiles in there, so if they yeah. put some kind of weight structure on the track, some spies or something, it would weigh the same as the original MX Mobile missiles, and we were buying a federal land bank in Jackson for our our computer, or our satellites, so we knew when we were being attacked, we can launch at any at any uh, real, real, real stop.
0: Let me ask you, once Reagan leaves office... He didn't leave office. Well, okay. Uh, in 1989, when he, well, I don't know how, how else to say it, but okay, so he,
3: he... Bill, President Reagan was not replaced by any publicly elected official on January 21, 1989, and we all know it because that's the facts of life.
0: Okay, and we're talking about uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, and yeah, your, that guy. the From idea the CIA, is that he was
3: CIA, he would have been he, barred... He had an agreement that he could never run for a publicly elected official job.
0: And this, he is, knew that. this is because his father, Prescott Bank, Bush... His
3: grandfather, Prescott Bush, was an right. officer and director at Herman Bank, and they were trading with the enemy, and they were going to charge him for treason. They probably would have got shot, and they made a private deal that no Bush family would be eligible for a publicly elected office. Even Jeb Bush, even Junior, can't run.
0: Up. Let me ask and uh, Gibby. This story, I mean, is so f- Full of intrigue and political subterfuge, and I'm sure there's a you know there's a body count. I know there's a body count, uh, you know, uh, associated with this story as well. And Lee will probably tell us about that later. But Lon, Lon for you making this film, and just even by association, uh, knowing Lee Wanta, is your life in danger?
2: Well, you know, I think anybody that's that's trying to get the truth out has in history has been in danger, but. You know, you got. You have to realize that that so many people know this story already. It, this isn't new. What we're doing is just it, we're qualifying a lot of the facts, uh, and people already know a lot about uh, Lee. There's he's been out. And there's been a lot of information out on him on the internet. Literally, you can Google and see just tons of stuff. Now, a lot of it's planted stuff. It's inaccurate. It's half truths. But what we're trying to do uh, is put out um, the story with 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 backup documents to really uh, so that people know that that it is factual and uh, yeah it's always it crosses your mind but you know you have to have a we all have a uh, you know you have to stand up and be counted in this life you can't just um, not uh, just sit there and wring your hands and as a documentarian I, re- I recognize that this this was probably a thousand times more significant than Watergate in our country Watergate was a big deal uh, obviously it was serious, uh, 18 minutes we were missing a lot of uh, audio tapes and a number of other issues, but the cover-up was worse than the crime. Well, in this case, this is so uh, major because it covers, it, it, there's so many people involved, and it's just nauseating when you understand some of the people that you respect voted for and have been in, um, believed history was done a certain way. It's not. It's different. And you find that out when you read this information. And uh, and it does need to get out. So I'm just one of many people that are putting out uh, good, accurate information. But there's also a lot of people that are being paid to put out inaccurate information, and uh, they're being uh, it's it's confusing people.
0: And, and just to be clear here, the, when you say it's nauseating, you're talking about the, the what's what what is the nauseating aspect is that we have 31.2 trillion dollars that Lee has amassed. He wants to put that into the U.S. Uh, uh, treasury. Uh, for the benefit of the American people, wipe out the debt, uh, essentially resurrect the economy, huge infrastructure projects, but he's being prevented from doing that, and we'll find out why. But let me ask yeah. you, again, people listening are going to be wanting, you know, corroborating evidence and so forth. Are there, for example, in your documentary, uh, people from the Reagan administration or from the other side that were were in the Soviet Union Working Absolutely. alongside Miguel Gorbachev. give us some insight into who's in the film and, and what they what they offer up.
2: Well, I, you know, I'm rather than give I can't give names because it's part it's part of our <laughs> part of what makes this such a special project. But I could tell you that a lot of the folks that we have talked to, uh, I was surprised that I was on the phone with. Okay, I mean, uh, and I'm also um, aware that that the people that we have talked that we are interviewing have agreed to be interviewed, and these are people that are finally willing to talk. And uh, and this information has to get out to the American public, you know. When Lee came here to Spokane, uh, he no everybody said he'll never show up, you know, because no one's really seen Lee. He just you know he's basically been a political prisoner for all these years. But Lee did come to Spokane, and uh, we spent I spent about uh, eighteen hours six eighteen hour days with him, and. Uh, He's and 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 I had when you interview somebody, you can tell. I've interviewed people my whole life. That's what I do, and you can tell when people are are being. They look you in the eye, and they can tell you what they believe. And you've seen a few of the the the, uh, the pieces from the documentary in the film preview that we did. But uh, Lee Lee's story never changes. It's always the same. He'll look you in the eye, and he'll tell you exactly what happened. And I feel very good about getting this information now because it's a positive story in the sense that it's not too late to make a change, you know, that we can we can get these funds back and they should go where they need to go. We can, have, we can get our economy back where it needs to be. And we can have leaders that have integrity, that are honest, that have character, that are willing to run for office and step up to the plate, uh, as opposed to people that uh, are controlled by puppet masters or people that are, um, paying them to do various things.
0: Uh, Lee, tell yeah. me about your imprisonment. You were in Switzerland. Uh, what happened there? Why, why were you thrown in the clink in Switzerland?
3: Well, I think it all started because I had a call from DeLora Tyson, who is the charitable lady of the White House Economic Council and also, uh, it's sad to say, Vince Foster. And we were going to meet him in Switzerland. They needed $250 million to support the Children's Defense Fund. And I thought, well, that sounds good to me. You know, I, I love kids. I was the PTA chairman, you know, and president in, in the state of Wisconsin and very much involved with that. So we were out taking care of the mob problems in, in, it, in Italy. I was with the Chief Judge John Pierre Luigi and Eric Erica Ruffo of the Italian Secret Police Services, and we were doing a number of things in the Italian groups because of mob relations. In fact, it's all covered in Thieves World. And the funny thing about it, the uh, assistant director of the FBI, Jim Moody, he's part of the authorship of the book, and he lied like hell. He's got to be protecting the mob because the author, Claire Sterling, on a second FBI interview, according to Philip... uh, Mr. X, she disappeared on the second interview of the FBI. Okay, but we just have a few on
0: the mob. We just have a few moments here, so explain uh, why. What were the charges when you were arrested in Switzerland?
3: There were no charges. They just mm-hmm. held me because the state of Wisconsin called them and said that I failed to pay fourteen thousand one twenty-nine dollars for a false vending service when a false vending service in Butler, Wisconsin. I worked deep cover because Bella Frank, Bella Story, the mob, and other. People were involved in running drugs and everything through the vending company, and I went in there with the the, oh, the deputy sheriff's shield 714, Washington County Sheriff's Department, which was in our, our our county, working with Fred Thorne of the FBI and a couple other people with the FBI, and also uh, Buck Revel of the FBI and Gonzalez of the FBI, and since I graduated from Milwaukee Police Academy when I was young, and the Washington County Deputy Sheriff's Academy, they used me deep cover. To pretend to buy false venues so we can get the books, because okay. they knew that Bela and the boys were funding the Kennedy assassination in Boston.
0: Okay, so they it's trumped up place. these charges of, of failure to pay income tax fourteen thousand yeah, dollars or whatever. No, it was.
3: as a civil tax assessment.
0: Okay, civil tax
3: a false assessment. False vending service, for fourteen thousand. Okay. I was the trustee in federal bankruptcy court. Okay, but who gave that the order to ha-
0: government? Okay, who gave the order to have you um, uh, arrested then?
3: beats was, the hell out of me.
0: You don't know. and and um, so, But it was someone who w- wanted to get their, their hands on your money. Is that the all idea? All the money. All the money.
3: In fact, the state of Wisconsin offered me an elsewhere plea that Lon's got a copy of. If I take them to all my banks and show them all my account money and billions and billions of dollars in writing from the Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin, they would let me go free. How wonderful. I'd be poor, but I'd be free.
0: And how long were you in, in, um, where were you imprisoned in Switzerland?
3: In Lausanne, Switzerland, in Suite 130, just to amuse myself with Job, and for 134 days. The only reason I got out of there the Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, who Reagan and I signed a peace accord, 1992 peace accord, for uh, what do you call it, the Palestinians and the Israelis, was $5 billion apiece. I was the trustor under the Reagan-Minaran Protocols to have peace between the Israelis and Palestine.
0: Okay, so you're saying he called that... He me th- there.
3: He wanted me to pay the $10 billion, five and five.
0: So Prime Minister Rabin worked to get you out of prison? Yes,
3: yeah, Rabin. I have letters. I think Lon's got a copy of the letter. Send it right to the prison, telling the prison, release them or we're going to come and get them. They threw me back to New York, went back to New York with both of my diplomatic passports, 04362 and 12535. The FBI asked me why had I had, dip- I had dip- diplomatic passports because so I don't have an American passport. I gave my United States passport to Warren Christopher a long time ago about 140 days prior to that because he said through his uh, his, his uh, attaché over there that I could not have an American passport and a whole a diplomatic passport so I surrendered my my American passport because I had two diplomatic passports Warren Canada Christopher Secretary of State
0: Secretary of State under the, under Clinton
3: Oh there's a piece of change <laughs> All
0: right Again, Lon, the trailer at eagle1tawanda.com. People can see the trailer there. Yeah. Just explain that there's
2: a lot of documents there too that they could read the the last chapter in the in the uh, book which in, in about 30 pages gives you kind of a recap of what's happened in the last 2 years since we started working on this
0: project. And eagle1tawanda explain the title.
2: Eagle1 is President Reagan's code name and uh, and and Two want, of course, is, is Lee, and uh, so if you go to Eagle One Two Want, it's just spelled out that that's the name of the project, and uh, it's interesting that uh, that you know there's new information that that we're posting all the time as Lee releases more stuff. There's quite a bit of information that uh, obviously Lee can't release because it's classified, but he's released some information that's uh, fresh and unique uh, that you could read right on the site.
0: Are people going to be shocked and amazed at the individuals that appear in this documentary that corroborate Lee's story? Are we going to know these people? Are they going to be familiar to us? Yeah, you're
2: going to know a lot lot of them. You're going to know them by name, and uh, you've seen them in the news for years. Some of them will disappoint you because you, you felt that they were working in your interest or in the interest of the public. But as it turned out, they were basically puppets being controlled from another group of people.
0: That concludes part one of this two-part interview. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to fill you in on what's in store on the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show, why not consider becoming a supporter? Go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. That's right. We've changed the name of our Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash StrangePlanet and check out our three support tiers. The Truth Seeker tier, the Whistleblower tier, and the Star Chamber tier. Donors can receive access to an exclusive monthly Google Hangout on air or a monthly live chat with me. You can also be eligible for a monthly draw and a chance to win Conspiracy Show and Conspiracy Unlimited merch. Patreon.com forward slash StrangePlanet Patreon.com Forward slash strange planet. Your support is greatly appreciated. Coming up next time, more of my conversation with President Ronald Reagan's secret agent, Ambassador Lee Wanta. What's preventing him from repatriating the trillions he raised on behalf of the U.S. Treasury? Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.